You're listening to Laughing Historically with Adam Latz, Adam Cooney, and Dr. History Scholar. We are now recording. Awesome. awesome. And again, we can I can cut all this out. Okay. So if I talk about how like Adam Lax has surprisingly large nipples like sausage <laughs> patties, <laughs> you can just cut it out. I want to talk about how uh, Dr. Professor History <laughs> lost a testicle in a really tragic uh, fence accident <laughs> as, as, a, as a six-year-old child. Um, we should just call him American History X. <gasps> <gasps> That's a good one. <laughs> Dr. American History X. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so today is August 1st. Oh, also. Yeah. Because we're very much amateurs at this. We have to all introduce ourselves. That's all right. true. Oh, Should right. Well, okay. Welcome to, everybody, welcome to Laughing Historically. Uh, that name might change. We're, we're not really set on anything, really, at this point. Uh, I'm Adam Coonan, your uh, producer, and we have... Hi, everybody. I'm Adam Lax, one of the other producers and hosts of the Laughing Historically. And then we have our resident uh, super-duper expert, uh, what are we, Dr. Professor Dr. X? Spock. <laughs> <laughs> Adam just really wants to get sued for multiple... Mm. Mm-hmm. Going know, for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Right, just... He really just wants, you know, Paramount, Marvel, yeah. Disney, all, 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 the whole, the whole nine yards. Oh yeah, he's doctor. He's not doctor. Who? Oh, that's another, <laughs> that's another bit of chunk of money right there. So, uh, what happened today in history, there, doctor, history, history <laughs> professor? <laughs> so today is August first, uh, and the the three things I picked out is that one in thirty BCE, Octavian, later known as Augustus, enters Alexandria, Egypt, bringing Egypt uh, officially under the control of Rome. Uh, in seventeen fourteen. Uh, and, mm-hmm. Sorry, didn't like didn't Caesar already put Alexandria under Roman oh, control? No, now now they're not pretending. Oh, like when, when Julius Caesar was there, the Romans would pretend <laughs> oh. that the Egyptians were a separate, independent okay. state. That tracks for that tracks for old right? Julius. Something yeah. like a protectorate. Yeah, something like along those. It lines. was a real "you're independent" wink, wink <laughs> sort of situation. <laughs> yeah, it, it absolutely was. And, um. Uh, the, the second one is in 1714, George, the Elector of Hanover, becomes King George I of Great Britain, marking the beginning of the so-called Georgian era of British history. He is the great-grandfather of George III. Also, didn't speak any English, none, oh. as the King of England. It, was he one of the royal family that molested people? Uh, no. <laughs> you can just uh, say maybe, yes, maybe, actually. I, <laughs> I, I think you can just say yes. I have yes. no idea. I have no idea. The only reason they picked him is he was Protestant. That's literally the only... That was that was the criteria. Mm. He was distantly related to the previous British queen, and he was Protestant, and British Parliament still didn't want a Catholic. Was, okay, so. fine. He wasn't a Catholic priest. Was he a Boy Scout leader? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, okay, I, he, he was German, so... He was German. Uh, he would be attracted to that sort of thing. Like, <laughs> uniforms for the children? <laughs> and the last one is in 1759... Uh, the Battle of Minden was fought, where an allied Anglo-German army uh, was victorious over the French during the Seven Years' War. Now, the reason that this is important is that one of the British generals at the battle is a man named George Sackville, who was court-martialed for cowardice and dismissed from the army. He will return to the government, though, as Lord Germain and will become the hard-line Secretary of State for the American colonies during the American Revolution. Oh wait, real quick. You're, so you're saying like kind of a coward soldier turned into an asshole politician? Will oh, and not just that, a hardline hawk, mm, yeah, right? Like yeah. that's that's the that's the move there, mm-hmm. right? Avoid military service and then become a military hawk. Yeah. Uh, so the bravest thing I've ever done in my life was sacrifice your children to the wall. <laughs> Is that how that works? Wait, oh. wait, his last name was Sack, though? <laughs> yes. We can bury the lead on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Kunin's like cracking up. I know, that. I forgot about it already. That's where my uh, head's at. Yeah, it, it, there's definitely reason he went by Lord Germain. Um, but the reason that those last two, uh, the last two of those events are important is that what I want to talk about today is the crossing of the Delaware during the American Revolution. Uh-huh. And so that is why it was serendipitous that we decided to record on 
this day when these events that are so related to the uh, the thing, not not the stuff about Octavian entering Alexandria, that doesn't really matter. Well, sort of, yeah, you know, in, in, long game. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of a bridge to yeah. the Delaware crossing? Yeah, a bridge we to could... cross the Delaware. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was uh, that in Madison County? I'm just wondering. <laughs> Bridges in Madison County. <laughs> so, uh, sorry for that snort. Uh, our five listeners, one of them being Yusef Gold. <laughs> so, the crossing of the Delaware and the subsequent Battle of Trenton are some of the most memorable moments of the American War of Independence. The famous painting of George Washington standing in his longboat, the Betsy flag, uh, the Betsy Ross flag prominently displayed, crossing the frozen weather with river with his motley crew of freedom fighters regardless of the painting's historical accuracy is one of the most instantly recognizable moments of the whole conflict the americans surprising a bunch of drunk hessians and defeating them the day after christmas is a wonderful morality tale extolling the virtues of america and the decadence of old europe today i want to talk about this battle we will cover cover who were the hessians the villains of our story the preceding battle of new york that so nearly ended the american experiment in its cradle and then finally, to talk of the near miraculous series of events that led George Washington's uh, led to George Washington's first real victory in the American Revolution. That sounds pretty good. Did, what? Just projecting forward, mm-hmm. if if this podcast goes, I don't know, maybe five or six episodes. Uh, uh, <laughs> How many times are the bad guys going to be German? Just like you, like fifty <laughs> percent. Yeah, no, I, I think that that you know, uh, being that my uh, area of expertise is American history, and in particular military American history, mm-hmm. uh, there's a there's a better than even chance that the the bad guys will either wear red coats, gray coats, or dark gray coats, right? Uh, you know, British, Confederate, or German. Brown. Yeah, all the worst ones, really. I think it's interesting the incestuous relationship between mm-hmm. Germany and England. Mm-hmm. Well, wasn't it too like before World War One, like the Germans could not understand why the British would were like down with the French. They're just like, what? We both hate these assholes, and you're like way more German than you are French. What is your problem? The yeah, because the Germans never historically, and especially the Germans of 1914, cannot understand why anyone hates them as they burn, pillage, destroy, and generally make a nuisance of themselves yeah english people were like oh you silly germans you you need to do that in different continents yes <laughs> that's that, that's definitely something for africa relegate that to the brown yeah, people yeah, <laughs> exactly they did it wrong germany yeah. just keeps tri- they just keep treating white people like everybody else <laughs> and then everyone gets mad at <laughs> <laughs> We might cut that out. <laughs> so speaking, <laughs> speaking of Germans, part one, the Hessians. Uh, to begin with, I have two questions for you. Uh, what do we know about the Hessians, and what do we know about the Holy Roman Empire? All right, uh, I'll start. The Hessians, obviously, like, like obviously, the, wow. <laughs> Obviously, the Hessians. Uh, well, they were they were German mercenaries, more or less. They were like, I, if I remember correctly, they were like German regular troops. But like, if they weren't doing anything at the time, they would just become mercenaries. Uh, it's sort of in the same vein as the Landesknecht, right? Where it's like, yeah, they would defend the homeland if they had to, but they didn't have to sometimes, so they would just go fight for other people for money. It's like uh, pre-runner to Blackwater. Right? Yeah. Yeah, the wow, that's a really apt. Really yeah, they were fucking so George George the Second Blackwater or whatever. <laughs> awesome. Or so not. so they're not. Uh, you know, we'll get to that. They're not quite mercenaries. Like it's 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 bizarre, and that that was one of the things when I I one of the the main book that I read to prepare for this is a book called Washington's Crossing, um, by a guy named David Hackett Fisher, and it's a very good book, and he spends like a hundred pages talking about the hessians and he's like they're not actually mercenaries and and we'll go over why they aren't mercenaries uh they're just not they don't fit the definition like the way that they actually were raised and recruited Mm -hmm. and and deployed they would they would themselves 
be very upset about being called mercenaries. Just, did they fight for the love of the game? Or like, <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> yes. Uh, a little like, bit, yes. Well, you just can't get enough of cutting yeah. heads up. Like, <laughs> a little bit, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you mistake us for one of those sellout mercenary groups <laughs> that do it for the money? <laughs> All right. We fight, we fight battles against foreign people in foreign lands because of the art. All right. Because of the art. Um, so, yeah. So, the Hessians were Germans. Uh, and though in 1776, there is no place, strictly speaking, called Germany. Rather, there is the Holy Roman Empire, which was a loose patchwork of roughly 300 states, ranging from the heavies of Austria and Prussia down to tiny little city-states. Uh, and he- one of these is Hesse-Kassel, uh, or Hesse-Kassel, a state in modern central West Germany, which uh, was not a kingdom or a principality. It was a Landgrafat under the Landgraf, or Prince Friedrich Wilhelm the Second. Wait, 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 Did you wait, work wait. on your German? Before I took you five did? and a half years of German. Oh. so I can't speak German, <laughs> but I can pronounce German words. Uh, right? but uh, you, you need to sound more angry. That's that's, that's really <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That we joke actually a lot that just because we like history, all our German is like sad war German. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? It's all like fucking like. Oberkommando das Wehrmacht. Panzer Commando. Yeah. It all, right. it all fucking translates to like lightning skull blast battalion or whatever. <laughs> just like special kill people group. Yeah. Like just, Sturm Abteilung. Right? Sturm like, I, can, I can basically, I took five and a half years of German and I can ask where the bathroom is and I can read. World War II German military documents. And that's about it. This might be too deep of a cut, but you should go to Germany and rob a train and then learn German of the... All right, it's a Burt Kreischer joke. It's a, we can move on. Let's cut So, so what, follow, what I'm going to talk about here is a description of Hesse-Kassel, but all German troops that the British brought to North America would, are just referred to as Hessians even though there are ones who are clearly not from any state called Hesse. Wait, wait, wait. So that'd be like if I went to, I don't know, hypothetically speaking, I went to Ukraine to mm-hmm. like be a mercenary, mm-hmm. and the whole time everybody's like, gotta love those Texans. Yep. That would drive me insane. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be so mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, there are troops from Brunswick. There are troops from Hanover. Um, there are troops from all over Germany, but the majority are from Hesse Castle, mm. um, and so that's how they got the name Hessian. Um, So the hiring of German auxiliaries, like I said, um, we'll talk about why they aren't quite mercenaries later, was a common practice in the 18th century. Uh, The British had hired them in every continental war that they'd fought. The French, the Prussians, and other German states all made use of Hessian soldiers. Uh, This has a term in German, which is the Soldatenhandel, or literally soldier trade, was both controversial and lucrative. Like people like Voltaire compared it to the slave trade. Hmm. Um, at the time criticizing it, being like you're taking people from one place and shipping them to another, and then they die for money. Oh, um, so like if you were a Hessian soldier... You would be a... rented out. Oh, but um, you, so you made your same like base pay mm-hmm. or whatever? Yeah. Oh, man. It's like the African child soldiers of today. Almost. And, but, it, but in high demand. Okay. Like... Everyone yeah. used Hessians. Yeah. Black, uh, it's like the Samoans in like the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I was gonna say Blackwater hasn't hired a lot of like fourteen-year-olds with AKs. It's just like, listen, kid, you're not very accurate. <laughs> Honest, Do you know how to use a radio? Uh, honestly, I, I, from what I can tell, for instance, like when the U.S. was fighting in Vietnam, the United States essentially subsidized the use of South Korean troops in South Vietnam, right? So the United States paid South Korea a lot of money to basically convince South Korea to send troops to fight in Vietnam. It's not quite the same, right? It isn't because these troops stayed entirely under their own commanders and and it isn't the same, but it's similar. This doesn't happen anymore. Armies don't rent themselves. Countries don't rent out their armies to other countries anymore. Mm, uh, are you sure America hasn't mm-hmm. rented ours to Saudi Arabia a couple of times? <laughs> are you sure? Maybe Israel maybe picked up the tab for <laughs> Saudi Arabia. Maybe once, just the one time. Just that one. Ninety ninety one. Oh shit! Uh, go on. So um, Hesse Castle had a population of about two hundred fifty thousand. 
with an army of 12,000 soldiers standing with 12,000 more militia, giving them a soldier to civilian ratio of 1 to 15. So for every one soldier, there are 15 civilians. By contrast, England had a ratio of 1 to 300, and even militaristic Prussia under Frederick the Great only had one of 1 to 30. So this is a highly militarized society, Hesse. All men are registered at the age of seven for military service. At age six, <laughs> sounds like yeah. Sparta. Yeah, like like like, <laughs> like like three hundred. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's when my kid is gonna like register for fucking pee wee football or yeah. whatever. Like that's when my kid's gonna register. Yep. He yeah, he's gonna register for register for like his first like soccer where they don't even score points. Like nobody yeah, even yeah, wins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. They're registered for the army for military service at age 16. You were examined by a recruiting officer from ages 16 to 30 men in the principality were required to re-register every year at Easter. There was little technical conscription and some skilled laborers were actually forbidden to enlist by law, but men were strongly encouraged to enlist and once into the army, the men were roughly divided based on their pre-army career. So poor farmers are sent into the infantry. Gamekeepers and foresters became Jaegers, or light infantry. Industrial workers, presumably because of their skills, worked in the artillery. Okay. Wait, they did the recruiting on Easter? Yes. Like, like that's a great way to celebrate Jesus yeah, dying for our sins, like, the Prince of Peace, dying for our sins. Yeah, way to go, Germany. You really, like, really I, read like, between the lines on that. One. It's like yeah. Jesus Easter Bunny, like I, I, the Germanest thing I've ever like, fucking heard. Like, oh, what day is it today? Oh, it's Easter. Time to go to draft. Time to get guard. Have you cleaned your rifle today? Da, yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. yeah, Christmas morning. Time for us to do artillery drills. <laughs> Yay! Who can do trigonometry? <laughs> so, th- uh, the army was an attractive career path for poor farmers, given that the army's pay was higher than the wages of either a farmer or a laborer, and your family would become exempt from certain taxes. Now, remember when I said there wasn't technically conscription? The expendable people. The unemployed, school dropouts, the bankrupt, wandering youth, and masterless servants would be drafted into wandering the army. Wandering youth. Kunin, that was you, right? Does wandering is synonymous with stumbling? Is that the same? <laughs> because that would, I did do a lot of wandering. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you wandered up until Peace yeah. Corps, right? Yeah, I wandered right into a ditch and fell asleep one time, actually. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> No, that's so fun. Like, all right, I'm gonna gonna take a quick little side. This, all right, uh, Bizarro Adams coming out. This isn't real me. This is the dark part of my mind that I probably shouldn't speak into a microphone. But I'm saying that's recording. Yeah, Uh, like at the time, especially that's kind of the move. Oh, right, I, like, like, is, what, the... what? There's no other like social safety mm-hmm. net for mm-hmm. any country mm-hmm. at all in the yeah. world, right? Like, there maybe I don't know. Maybe no, there's there like, yeah. There, yeah so, this, like, this the is... idea that you have something to do with, like, just that every society in the history of societies has had that like lower five percent of yeah, people who yeah. are just like. Not gonna do it. They just don't get. You know, we gotta do something with them. Like, like mm-hmm. England, they're like, "Well, we're gonna send them to Virginia." Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, or Australia. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the first the first Australians were dropped off Hunger Games yeah. style. Yeah, they dropped them off and said, "We'll be back in a year. Yeah. You know, if you're still alive, cool. Yeah. Well, if was, not, also cool. Yeah, we're just well, Irish. I mean, we we look pretty humane in comparison. <laughs> well, the British, like, it was like they just sent them away and were like, just ha- ha- be there. Just mm-hmm. like have a, the Germans are like, no, 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 we're going to uh, ring every bit of warfare. Out. I, that got a, became a Russian accent. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. No, no, nine, nine, nine. We will ring every ounce of warfare out of you. Yeah. <laughs> so, for example, one young man who was a student on his way home was waylaid by a recruiting party and found himself with a bankrupt Viennese merchant. He would find his way to America. Wait, wait, wait. Revolution. 
was he a theater major? Like, no idea. Because <laughs> that is fine. <laughs> <laughs> was it fine arts? He, was he it, was it art history? Because you're Probably. basically a wandering wordsoul at that point. Not, it's like <laughs> it's like homeless person just under that art history major. Like, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean Hitler. Yeah, he was an art, art student who gets drafted into, or joins the German army. I mean, in his. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I, miss, I missed that. Technically, there's never been a higher rank than Fuhrer. I'm just saying. He's tied for number one in like rank. <laughs> But as we uh, once quoted in a bar uh, in in D.C., uh, the best person in the world at murdering Hitler, Hitler. <laughs> so I guess well done. Well done, Hitler. So the home worst enemy. <laughs> great aim at point blank. Uh, <laughs> So the army of Hesse-Kassel was infamous for brutal discipline. Beatings were common, and, and not just the flogging that most 18th century armies practiced, but straight-up beatings. Soldiers were hanged for leaving their posts. Wait, wait, but, okay, but, so flogging is a funny word, mm-hmm. and I feel like people don't know what oh, that being, means. Being whipped with a cat of nine tails 10 to 200 times, yeah, depending yeah. on the infraction. Yeah, flogging sounds funny. Like, oh, went and got flogged. And actually, it meant that there's like a thousand cuts in your back. <laughs> yeah, really brutal. Um, and, and a lot of people... So I might just take a beating. Uh, well, and, and I think that was that was kind of the point. And, uh, but it was, it was bad. Uh, families could be punished for the infractions of their military relatives, right? You remember families are exempted from some of the taxes of the principality, but if your son deserted, uh, you might be the one who ends up paying the price, right? Which was kind of the point. Wait, so like if, if one of the Hessians is like a little mad at his wife, he might just go like a little AWOL for a second. <laughs> <laughs> no? All right. So, do, so, you, do you think there's any recruits that actually liked the flogging? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe for the first like I imagine, I imagine, I know where you're going, and I imagine they liked it for the first five, uh, and then the safe word didn't work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, like far for Dugan, far for Dugan, you're not listening to me. No. no. Now the officer corps, by contrast to the Hessian army, they were professionals. They were drawn uh, from the aristocracy and from the upper middle class. But their advancement is based on merit. Uh, a case in point of this is a man with the, uh, named Johann Gottlieb Rahl. He was 50 years old in 1776. He was a veteran of 36 years, the son of a military officer. He joined as a cadet in 1740. He was a rough, unpolished fighter, liked by his men. He stood up for them. His men liked him. But looked down upon by some of the more aristocratic officers of the army. He will also find his way to America to Trent. Uh, was that like a rough gig for him probably? Like he wasn't as noble as he should be so they're oh, no, like he, off to America with you because it, they're, you know. Oh no no it wasn't it was even like, that. Um, there's very aristocratic officers who are sent uh, to America. Uh, you know one of the uh, a lot of the German officers have Vons in their name. Like one of the other Hessian officers is Karl von Donop. Right, so he's clearly an aristocrat. Another one is. Um, and what is Vaughn? Is that like like a- Vaughn means like from? So you're from a place, which implies that your family owned the place. Mm-hmm. Um, or another one is von Neipausen. Uh, you know, so these are very aristocratic people. But but Rawl is is middle class by virtue of the fact that he carries an army commission. Uh, if he wasn't, if he didn't have an army commission, this is a man who. Uh, would very clearly be like lower working class as a person. He was very rough. He didn't. He didn't prize manners. He doesn't prize the gentle. He is a soldier. He's a soldier, soldier. But aristocratic officers think of him as kind of a bore. They're like he's good at his job, but we don't have to like him. Uh, is this going to be like the last podcast where I like solely fall in love with the guy, even though I shouldn't because he's kind of a prick? Because I like Maybe. Him. All right. Uh, so one last point before we move on to the Revolutionary War is how to describe the Hessians as soldiers. Um, 
So whether or not to call them mercenaries. So the Americans, the American Revolution, and a lot of the Whig opposition in Parliament, uh, the Whigs being a political party in Britain in the 18th century, the Whigs more or less opposed the American War, or if they were for it, they were only for it, kind of, right? Whereas like British Tories, the Conservatives were very for bringing the Americans to heel. Um, the Whigs and the Americans will certainly describe them as mercenaries, right? In our Declaration of Independence, the talk of mercenaries uh, is referring to the Hessians. Um, however, if we look into how the Hessians were recruited into British service and how they were paid and how they acted on campaign, we have to come to a different conclusion. So according to the United Nations, a mercenary is defined as A, uh, specially recruited locally or abroad to fight in an armed conflict. This is correct for the Hessians. B, is motivated to take part in the hostilities essentially by the desire for private gain and in fact is promised by or on behalf of a party to the conflict material compensation substantially in excess of that paid to similar people doing regular fighting. This is not correct. The Hessians are paid exactly the same as they would have been paid anywhere else. They're not paid more than British soldiers. Uh, they do, they are not paid do they plunder? Uh, we're going to get to that. Right. They do plunder, but plundering, everyone plundered. Yeah, yeah. Um, they plunder lightly. Oh, these <laughs> A guys, little light plunder. The Hessians, the Hessians don't plunder lightly. Uh, the Hessians plunder heavily. But yeah. at the same token, that in, within the context of the 18th century doesn't make a person a mercenary. Okay. I, uh, like, fair uh, enough, that, but that's the point. Like, the British would plunder. American troops plundered occasionally. I just know in a lot of periods in history, mm -hmm. part of your, like, pay mm -hmm. as a mercenary like your understanding mm -hmm. yeah. of what you yeah. were going to get paid mm -hmm. was plunder yeah. right That's so true. it's like you're getting some and, and then That's i think even in some it. armies in german armies mm -hmm. even it was the better like you got a better deal as mm -hmm. a mercenary band depending upon like when you got to scale yeah. the walls because mm -hmm. if you scaled the walls like too soon, it was too dangerous. But if it was like a little bit after it was, you know, yeah. then you were like, oh, no, no. Then we just get to run around and steal everybody's shit. Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, and, and the Hessians are notorious for plundering, partially because they can't speak English. This is actually like a problem. Like they, <laughs> they don't understand. Uh, and two, they're used to fighting in Germany. Wait, wait, what do you mean they don't they don't understand that other shit belongs no, 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 no. to like, people? Like, no, what I mean by that is, is that uh, you can imagine that the line between forage and plunder is a is a relatively fine line that is easier to be like, we just need to forage some things and you can explain that. I, I gotta be honest with you. No. I don't know. Because no, you, you forage in the forest, you plunder in the barn. Like, nobody ever I'm gonna wasn't. forage your family jewels. Like, <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, just like, oh my God, I just forged the shit out of that farmer's daughter. Yeah. Like, you know what? We're cutting that out. I'm really off the rails tonight, you guys. Oh, dear. Uh, so uh, the next part, they are neither a national of a party to the conflict nor a resident of the territory controlled by a party in the conflict. This is true for troops from hesse Kassel, but it is not ones for other German troops who are like from Hanover, where George III is technically their ruler, because George mm. III is the Duke of Hanover as well as King of Britain. So he basically says... They're, you know. Yeah, they're his troops. Yeah. So it's, oh. it gets confusing there. D, they're not a member of the armed force of a party to the conflict. And true except for the part where there was an agreement. This is true except that the British Parliament created treaties with each of the German princes to be like, we're going to borrow your troops. And E, has not been sent by a state which is not a party to the conflict on official duty as a member of its armed forces, which is also not true. All Hessian troops were officially on duty in America. They were still a part of their army at home. So it, it was essentially like you, you are still... It'd be like if America... Rented out its army. <clears throat> or like, like say we send mm -hmm. a brigade or yeah. whatever to, like to Ukraine yeah. right now. And they like act crazy, mm -hmm. right? Like they do something terrible or whatever. They're still like representing yep. the United States of yep. America yep. as like agents of their, yeah, no, no, I get that. Like yeah. that's Peace Corps stuff where they'd be like, you guys got to understand mm -hmm. you are agents of the United States. You represent mm -hmm. 
us as a nation, which is why on the 4th of July, we all got wasted on a beach. <laughs> America. In America, yeah. So that, I shot guns. I was like, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. That would have been very illegal. <laughs> Thus, we are left with the less glamorous, but I believe more accurate term of auxiliary. The Hessians were bought and paid for, but the money did not go to the man on the ground, but rather back to their prince back in Germany. The Hessian soldier thought of himself as a professional, and although the Continental Congress would try to get Hessians to desert or defect, there was very little of that unless things got desperate, which was also true of British troops, right? Uh, For instance, five or six of the British soldiers who went off to Lexington and Concord were wounded at Concord, and they recovered in Concord, and they never left Concord because they fell in love and married Concord women. Like, they just literally never went home. They're like, I got shot in the leg at Concord. And, you know, there's Sally, and I speak English, and I'm already here, and there's and have nobody. Have you seen the tits on her? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. That's they're good enough to leave any country. <laughs> no, no, this is funny, too, because, like, like you could just do that back mm-hmm. then. Like back then, you, there was no internet. Yeah, you could just be like, "My name's Bill." Yep, and you just moved to a place, and everyone would call you Bill. They wouldn't. That's know John Paul Jones. John Paul Jones. The, the, the I have not yet begun to fight American Revolutionary War naval officer. Oh. Like he was maybe running from a murder charge in Britain mm. when he came to America. Wait, and, but did he kill another British person? Yeah. Then it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, now that we know George, uh, Washington's antagonist, George Washington's antagonist, let us turn to the no good, very bad six months that followed our Declaration of Independence, which leads us to part two, the times that try men's souls. In the summer of 1776, the 13 American colonies of the British Empire declared their independence from Great Britain. The British response was to sp- send an expeditionary force of 30,000 men, 12,000 of them Hessian, to America to bring the rebels to heel. The British were led by two brothers. The elder of the two was Lord Admiral Richard Black Dick Howe. I'm not joking. His <laughs> no, it's Black not. Dick. Wow. This is actually the first recorded instance of appropriation, actually. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, I do. I do. I promise. <laughs> he was commander of the North American Squadron. The younger was General Sir William Howe. He was commander-in-chief for North America. These two men. So the first guy was like black dick, and the second one was like how. (laughs) (laughs) How black was it? (laughs) Uh, These two men were professionals. They were well experienced, but also it is interesting that they were both. They both sat in Parliament as Whigs, part of the opposition, meaning that most of them, both of them, had opposed most of the taxes levied on the American colonies before the war. And they thought that the Americans were right more often than they thought they were wrong. Uh, And British military officers in the 1700s did not have to take command outside of Great Britain. If Parliament was like, if they were like, you're going to lead an army in Britain to defend Britain, or you're going to lead a fleet in the the English Channel, you had to do it. But if you were going to go off to, you know, fight on the continent, fight in America, fight in India in the 1700s, you could say no. You could be like, no, I don't want to do it. So these two guys only took the command on the po- uh, they took their posts on the condition that they had great powers for offering pardons and reshaping the political landscape of the colonies. They wanted to hurt the Americans, but only enough to bring them to their senses and then negotiate. They did not see Americans as foreigners, but rather as Englishmen who were to be treated accordingly. This is interesting because so like <laughs> You didn't have to go fight a colonial war, if as an as a commanding as officer, a commanding as officer a, as a general as a general grade officer. If you're a colonel commanding a regiment and your regiment's deployed, too bad. I don't know what general grade officer. So means. if you're a general or admiral oh. taking overall command, you could oh, okay. Okay. you could you could avoid. For, uh, colonial service, foreign service in the 1700s. Okay, I just I was just thinking it's funny that they never ran out. Right, they didn't ever. They never ran out of generals. Oh, and I, I, there was always somebody to be like, "I'll, I'll do it." And and oh. again, and that's one of the things in in the American Revolution is they they get kind of close. Uh, and some of the some of the ones that the Parliament wanted to send 
didn't want to go. Uh, and then, and again, the Howe brothers only went because they were, they, they basically forced Parliament to give them amb- ambassadorial power, right? They had the power to negotiate an end of the war without going back to Parliament to ask for permission. Okay, so the plan that the Howe brothers put together was to ignore Boston and New England, right, after uh, Lexington and Concord and Bunker Hill and all of that. We've they, all been we, trying to do that yeah, ever since. Yeah. <laughs> 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 ever since. Has <laughs> 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 <Like, laughs> it worked? Fucking accent. They, just, <laughs> they heard it once. They're like, you know what? We're going to take over the rest of the country. <laughs> Fuck that place. So they viewed, they viewed these colonies as irreconcilable. The rest of the colonies, New York in particular, did seem more willing to rejoin the mother country. Once the rebel governments of New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania were removed, new loyal governments would be stood up, and Boston would be cut off and strangled at leisure. The Howe brothers promised London that they would have the American War finished in one campaign season, that is, before the end of the calendar year. Yeah, because the campaign season at that time is basically spring to fall. Yeah. 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 After, after October, it starts to be dicey. And they said by the end of 1776, this will be all over. And if I remember correctly, too, you couldn't get supplies mm-hmm. for a certain number of months in the winter because yeah. it just sucked too bad to like sail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They had to plunder. They had to forage an entire herd of cattle with markings on it. Yeah. They had to. So uh, George Washington understood that once the British had left Boston early 1776, that happens in like March 1776, British leave Boston, they're not coming back. The geography, both physical and political, meant that New England was a strategic cul-de-sac. You can't get out of it. And thus New York City was the most likely spot for a British invasion. So George Washington thus marched his army of nearly 20,000 men from Boston to New York and prepared the islands of Manhattan and Long Island to withstand an invasion from the premier naval power in the world. Long Island standing up to an invasion. Could you imagine that? Long Island? Long Island. In New York? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on down our streets here. Long Island for life or whatever. It was like, everyone would just be so annoyed they'd leave. <laughs> <laughs> it's I the mean, greatest place on earth. There's trash everywhere. It smells like piss. <laughs> this is the, no one wants to cover this. <laughs> I'm riding a horse here, okay? <laughs> and meanwhile, meanwhile, the general, the British general, is like, I could be in India selling spice for like a million pounds. And I'm here. The plundering in India was so much better. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yes. Oh, I forged the shit out of India. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, they're just like, what, what are we even going to forage here? Just, like, they've already invented something called crack. It's just... <laughs> it's spray tan. <laughs> it's just spray tan was the beginning of the end. <laughs> <Spray tan. laughs> so, being that this is an episode about the Battle of Trenton and the crossing of the Delaware, I will not give a detailed chronology of the New York campaign, but rather a litany of woe and defeat. Mm. So the following engagements were fought between August and November 1776. The Battle of Long Island, the largest battle of the war, British victory. Washington escapes across to Manhattan because of bad weather. Landing at Kipps Bay, British victory, first British troops on Manhattan. Harlem Heights, American victory, won only after Americans rallied upon hearing a British fox hunting call meant to taunt them. The Battle of Bell. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, like, so, like, let's say I'm taunting the British. I would say, fuck you, you limey, dickless <laughs> bastards. Was that basically that version of that? Yeah, like a- American troops were running away, and a British officer sounded a fox hunting call to be like, we need to pursue the Americans. They're running away. Let's hunt them like they're foxes. And the Americans turned around and shot a bunch of British people. Oh, that's good. Uh, and, and so we won that battle at Harlem Heights. Huh. Uh, that's that, but it, 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 it's, it's going to go bad again here in a moment. Fox me, fox you. <laughs> I just love the like weird insults from the past that you like just out of context. You'd be like, so what? I'm a fox. I don't care. They're cute. Whatever. Like, but them at the time, call me a fucking fox. You know, or like Yankee Doodle. Yeah. Well, Yankee Doodle was supposed to be an insult. Or is that 
Yeah, no, it's a, it's pretty much an insult, and <laughs> I still Yankee like, Doodle like, was the let's go dandy, Yankee Doodle dandy, yeah. like that. <laughs> Wasn't being a dandy a good thing back then? Yeah, though? it depends on who you asked. Oh, yeah. right. I mean, are Where, you a dandy? What if you asked a Hessian? Oh, they would they would not be one to be called a dandy. <laughs> <laughs> They'd stab you with their bayonets. <laughs> they were really good with bayonets. Uh, I'm not dandy, I'm masochist. <laughs> uh, the Battle of Pell's Point, British victory. Battle of White Plains, British victory. Battle of Fort Washington, British victory. And the loss of a large number of prisoners, guns, and ammunition. All things Americans don't have a lot of. So these battles whittled George Washington's main continental army from 20,000 men in July to less than 5,000 in December. So between... There aren't actually a lot of dead and wounded. Uh, American Revolutionary War battles don't produce casualties on a rate that you would see in like the American Civil War. They do produce high percentage casualties, but the armies are relatively small. But desertion is, is the bane of Washington's existence. Mainly because if you're in the militia, you're not really deserting. You're just, you know, going home. Uh, And George Washington has no time for the militia. So the enlistments of this army, by the way, were for only one year. And almost all of those remaining 5,000 would be eligible to return home at the end of the year or in early 1777. So Washington had been forced to abandon New York and New Jersey, and the Continental Congress fled Philadelphia for Maryland. To add insult to this very grievous set of injuries... That's the worst of which, having to flee to Maryland. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. The traffic was terrible. They got stuck. Uh, They never came back. To add insult to this grievous injury, General Howe started offering pardons to anyone who would return to their, and I'm putting this in air quotes, natural allegiance. And one signer of the Declaration of Independence, Richard Stockton of New Jersey, Took him up on the offer. Fucking New Jersey. Fucking Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the the, the deal's good. I gotta try it all, you know. It was was, was one I couldn't refuse. Yeah. Uh, Now, these were bleak days. So, into this bleakness comes someone I think we might want to talk about on another podcast. He's a very interesting fellow. Thomas Paine, whose pamphlet, Common Sense, was credited with bringing a large number of average Americans around to the idea of independence Mm. in the first place. He also built the house. <laughs> I don't understand that. Joke. The house of pain. Uh, oh, no. It was uh, so real he, dumb. It was real dumb. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to move right along. <laughs> that's, that's what I do a lot of times. With yeah. that. <laughs> his, his next work of propaganda, as much as his first, would help keep the revolution alive. It was composed by him on a drumhead while he was marching with the army back across New Jersey towards Philadelphia. And you may have heard some of this. These are the time that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. But the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods, And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. I fear not. I see no real cause for fear. In the end, we will be the victors. For though the flame of liberty may cease to shine, the ember will never expire. That's single tear. (laughs) Wait, can we do something fun? Hang on, let me check the time here. Yeah, let's do something a little fun. Uh, I, I want you to reread that, but I'm going to translate it into modern. And please help, Adam, please help. Okay. We're going to translate right. it into right. modern. Do the first sentence. These are the, tri- the times that try men's souls. Time to be hard, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. Don't Ooh. be a punk bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but the, he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Mm. It's like <laughs> I'm gonna forget the fucking phrase. It's uh uh like he who is a real homie gets a beer from his like gets a beer from his brothers and a blowjob from the bitches. I think is what <laughs> man and woman. They said man love from man and woman. They said tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Life's a bitch, then you die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. No pain, no gain. Yeah. yeah. 
Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. Hell yeah. yeah. I think we're just going to leave that one. <laughs> <laughs> I do really like that one. And so, like, like, like. Yeah. <laughs> I fear not. I see no real cause for fear. Hmm. Yeah. Don't be a punk bitch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This, this, yeah, this is very redundant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this, this speech would be like two lines long. <laughs> In the end, we Man up and don't be a punk bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and there'll be, there'll be some really solid rewards if you man up mm-hmm. and don't yeah. be a punk bitch. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to go into what those are because he doesn't elaborate. Uh, In the end, we will be the victors. For though the flame of liberty may cease to shine, the ember will never expire. Hmm. Wu-Tang ain't nothing to fuck yeah. with. <laughs> I feel like it's the Braveheart team. Freedom! Oh yeah. my God. The thing that never happened? Yeah. Uh, where's, the where's the bridge? Where's the bridge? There's no bridge. In Sterling. Oh, no, it's so annoying. Yeah, no. Actually, when, when, when the Scots of Sterling Bridge named their town Sterling Bridge, they were just being ironic. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, what did it be funny? <laughs> Let's fuck with all those English fuckers and tell yeah, them there's a bridge here. There's a bridge here. Oh, then they'll get here and they'll be all British. Be like, oh, what? Where's the bridge? Oh. <laughs> One of my favorite Family Guy jokes is is Buzz Killington going, "Why can't the guy get on a bicycle?" And they're like, "Why? Because he's a Scot." <laughs> it's just I don't know why it's funny to me <laughs> these days. I don't. Is it because he wears a kilt? No, I just think it's him being, you know, sort of old-timey British racist. Oh. You know. Oh, old-timey British racist is basically you're racist against everyone. Literally everyone. English. Yeah, yeah. Who I mean, isn't upper-class yeah. English <laughs> Anglican, <laughs> right? Because, like, if you're upper-class and, like, Catholic, you can be racist to them. Mm-hmm. If you're lower-class and Protestant, you can you, mm-hmm. those people suck, too. Yeah, yeah. They didn't do Protestantism <laughs> correctly enough. Yeah. And, yeah. So, part three, victory or death? With the winter fully closing in and no end in sight, General Howe was forced to put his army into winter quarters. This was common practice for armies from the time of Caesar until the 20th century. Armies dependent on horses, oxen, and mules cannot move very far in snowy and frozen country. Howe, believing that Washington's army would dissolve during the winter, deployed his forces in New Jersey to control the population and keep Washington at bay. He also needed to distribute them far enough apart that each could have enough supplies. How made his from decision- foraging from foraging, <laughs> which made the Hessians real popular in New Jersey. As they were we'll like, see. Oh, we really, we really bagged the wrong horse on this one. Yeah, yeah, classic New Jersey. <laughs> How made a decision that made sense if his theory that Washington was a spent force was correct. Unfortunately for Howe, and more unfortunately for the Hessians. Washington's Continental Army was not a spent force. Washington, who was always more comfortable on the attack, decided to regain the initiative and strike the Hessians in New Jersey. So he divided his army into three columns that he would throw across the Delaware River, striking the Hessian garrison at Trenton, New Jersey. Once that was destroyed, he would decide on his next move. The plan was to attack on the night of December 25th, 1776. So... Remember Colonel Rall, the sort of unpolished 50-year-old Hessian? He commands the garrison at Trenton. Now, with his forces in Trenton, decided not to throw up any any entrenchments. He does not fortify the town of Trenton. This is because Rall is a sort of bundle of contradictions when it comes to the Americans. He told his superior's chief engineer, he tells, um, remember I mentioned Von Donop's name? He's his commanding officer, General Von Donop. He tells his Von Donop's chief engineer, I have not made, uh, quote, I have not made any redoubts or any kind of fortification because I have the enemy in all directions. Basically, he's saying I'm surrounded. This would seem to imply that Rawl understood he was surrounded by angry militia and dangerously out on a limb. Trenton is near Philadelphia, like the distance from Philadelphia to Trenton. Trenton is right on the border between New Jersey and Pennsylvania. He knows he's basically ringed in what we would call insurgents. Okay, and so he goes fortifying the town of Trenton makes no sense, right? I don't have enough men to do it, and and I can't pick a direction. Now, wait, couldn't he just 
like oh so he literally just doesn't even have the time to yeah. do all four directions no. like it doesn't also know. american uh, the hessians and the british were really annoyed at the way americans had cited their cities americans had cited their cities for commerce not for defense no american city is placed in a defensible position they're not on hills they're not like at the end of ravines they're like along flat river Basins, because that's how you trade. Right? You know, fight a barbarian. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're like, you know, you could really build some roads here and also march an army. You could do a lot of building <laughs> and roads and marching armies. Yeah. But, yeah, and and so the Hessians are are annoyed by this. Um, now it is true that New Jersey militia had been launching hit and run attacks against Roll and other Hessian outposts for weeks. They they'd ambush columns here and there and do all that sort of stuff. At the same time, so at the same time, Roll foraging. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, Roll understands this. Roll tells another of his officers with a professional's disdain for citizen soldiers, "Let them come. We'll go at them with our bayonets." Basically saying, like, look, I don't... He called... And the, the rest of that quote is he refers to the Americans as country clowns. Let them come. We'll go after them with the bayonet. Um, so... Country clowns. I, I feel like that... We actually... That was the, that was the uh, colonial marching music was Yakety Sax. <laughs> from, it was like... Maryland <laughs> armies moved really fast. Oh, really? Really? Uh, well, they were chasing those women. Like <laughs> <a bunny>. <laughs> <laughs> that was the joke. Oh. I was making a joke. Oh. <laughs> You're not the only one who can make jokes. <laughs> you know what? I'm turning this microphone off. <laughs> bad now. So Christmas Day opened with a snowstorm. Uh, the Delaware River was choked with ice. Of the three columns that are supposed to cross, only Washington's was able to make it. The other two had to turn back. Slowed by the ice, the snow, and a lack of proper footwear, like literally Washington's troops are leaving bloody footprints in the, in the snow, the army was delayed throughout the night. It was likely that they would not be able to attack at night as Washington had wished, but rather at daylight, which would mean running straight into those Hessian bayonets. So Washington decides he's going to—he's already thrown the dice. He's got to keep going. However, the New Jersey militia had done their damage. The Hessians were not drunk. This is really important. Every popular history of there is absolutely no evidence. So they're the nerds. Not a single, <laughs> not a single primary source from any American who was at Trenton states that the Hessians were drunk. They were exhausted. They were exhausted. Many of them had not changed out of their uniform for over a week, being told to sleep in full kit. This is the equivalent of like modern soldiers sleeping in their body armor with their helmets on. Yeah, yeah. This is not conducive to like good rest. By the time the Hessians knew what was happening, it had already happened. Rawl is cut down by a bullet while trying to rally his men in the streets of Trenton. Washington had managed to reach Trenton with nearly 2,400 men. He lost five wounded, none dead, and none missing. Rawl had a force of 1,500 men. He suffered 22 dead, 83 wounded, and 800 missing or captured. It was a most lopsided victory. And Washington was not done yet. The enlistments of most of his army were up on December 31st. Thus, on that day, Washington paraded the army and appealed to the lingering remnants. It must be stated first that Washington, amongst the founding fathers, is probably the least disposed to flights of fancy. His prose and speeches tend to lack the rhetorical refinements of Jefferson and Adams. But here, I think he delivers a master class. My brave fellows, you have done all I asked you to do and more than can be reasonably expected. But your country is at stake, your wives, your houses, and all that you hold dear. You have worn yourselves out with fatigues and hardships, but we know not how to spare you. If you will consent to stay one month longer, you will re render to that cause, to the, or you will render that service to the cause of liberty and to your country, which you probably can never do under any other circumstance. <laughs> oh that's such a that's brilliant right mm -hmm. because he's basically saying like you're never gonna have a chance to be this badass ever again if you fight in this battle you're gonna tell your fucking grandkids about it about 500 times so mm -hmm. you know oh hey you can leave if you want 
Right. And, and we would get it. Yeah, yeah. We totally we'll get totally it. Totally understand. Totally. We won't, you know, won't bust your balls in the tavern for the next fifty years. <laughs> the soldiers in their ranks begin wavering, saying things to each other like "I'll stay if you stay," kind of thing. Right? They're bargaining with each other. Nearly twelve hundred of those men join back up. And they're joined by some militia and some other reinforcements, and Washington now has 6,000 men, up from 2,500 only a week before. Um, And with the help of Philadelphia financier Robert Morris, who's able to scrounge up money to pay re-enlistment bonuses, that's part of the other reason these men (laughs) re-enlist, they're given a $5 in silver bonus for re-enlisting for one month. Um, He's able... That, wait, 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 wait. That really undermines what we said about his speech. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great speech. Uh, yeah. Also, he paid oh, it's all, no, yeah. no, Wait, who's the mercenaries here? No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the idea that stuff can be two things, right? The men, the men do re-enlist. Uh, you know, Washington's men, the ones who stay with him, uh, worship him. Um, there are very few military leaders in American history whose soldiers view their commanding officer the way the Continental Army views Washington. Um, basically, the only person in the American Civil War, uh, and it pains me to say it, is Robert E. Lee. Like, Robert E. Lee is the only general in the American Civil War whose soldiers revere him the way that they do. No American general in World War II has this. None. I just keep picturing Trump on a horse. <laughs> <laughs> like, just people are like, I love you, Mr. Trump. Like, and George Washington. I feel like at the end of his speech, he was like, and I gave this really inspirational speech. And, and, and it was the money. best. Like, here was some money. Like, he like slides some money hey, on the table. Like, <laughs> Trump lacks rhetorical flourish of his contemporaries, much like Washington. They might have been friends. No. okay for those just listening which is everyone because uh this is a podcast (laughs) the look of sheer (laughs) anger and hatred on professor history doctor's face (laughs) was just (laughs) uh so yeah So Washington lunges back across the Delaware with his revitalized army and defeats Charles Cornwallis. You know who Charles Cornwallis mm-hmm. is? He surrendered yeah, at Yorktown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Defeats him at another battle at Trenton on January 2nd. Washington lost somewhere between, and I am not joking, seven and 100 men. The sources are really confusing here. He either <laughs> lost seven men or 100 men. Uh, Cornwallis loses 365 dead, wounded, and missing. Now Cornwallis... Thinking that while he may have been bloodied, he thinks he has Washington trapped. And he says to his officers that night, We've got the old fox safe now. We'll go over and bag him in the morning. Calling him a fox. Mm-hmm. That you, fox don't, I think. You, don't, you don't call Washington a fox. <laughs> All right. So Washington slips out that night and marches deeper into New Jersey. Like he leaves some behind some men to keep the campfires lit, and they're all gone. And when Cornwallis attacks in the morning, he punches nothing. There's nothing there. Washington engages another British force at Trenton, uh, at Princeton, New Jersey, on January 3rd, and he routs the British here as well. Now Cornwallis's position in Trenton is untenable. He's basically trapped between there and New York. And all of the other British positions in New Jersey no longer work. And so in 10 days, in literally 10 days, Howe's perimeter collapses all the way back to New York. General Howe's army, which had been on the Delaware River, poised to pounce over to Philadelphia, has to fall all the way back across New Jersey to New York. Uh, New Jersey has been liberated, and the war for independence would continue. Right. So Trenton, that was like peak Trenton. That it was all downhill from there. <laughs> Like, <laughs> that was a, especially when they were marching back, they're just like marching from Trenton to New York, and they're just God, fuck New Jersey. <laughs> just like everyone yeah, who had to go I through know. New it, Jersey. It, it all twice. started. Once, <laughs> once through and once back. Yeah, oh. yeah. And it was like, God, this is a pointless state. That doesn't even <laughs> exist. <laughs> I'm gonna get beat up. <laughs> You're gonna go back to New York and like pull out of her at a rest stop and someone's gonna beat the shit out of you. Yeah. But then um, I'll just like I'll rally the New Yorkers to my cause. I'll be yeah, like, but you'll Fuck be New Jersey. Jersey. <laughs> New Jersey. Yeah. You'll never oh, make it yeah, out. That's true. 
Uh, so New Bat- Jersey isn't that deep. <laughs> New Jersey, Sorry, is- it's tall. Getting from DC to, to to New York means you have to go all the way it's up dead. New Jersey. So if I want to escape New Jersey, all I got to do is take a left into <laughs> Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, yeah wow. Well. It's, 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 We're gonna offend all the states. <laughs> it's dense. It's a yeah. dense pop. Like it's one of the most densely populated states. Hey, come on. It's fucking thick. Like man. I know I'll talk some shit about New Jersey, but I won't get that mean. <laughs> all right. There's some smart people, isn't there? Princeton's in New Jersey, right? There's some smart people in New Jersey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they're on the shore. <laughs> Jersey Shore? Right. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Ten years. <laughs> in case you didn't know. Back in, back in 2010. <laughs> so back in Britain, in the House of Lords, William Pitt the Elder, the first Earl of Chatham, who had before the war consistently sided with the Americans, rose to say, I know that the conquest of English America is an impossibility. You cannot, I venture to say, you cannot conquer America. As to conquest, therefore, my lords, I repeat it, it is impossible. You may swell every expense and every effort, still more extravagantly, pile and accumulate every assistance you can buy or borrow, traffic and barter with every pitiful German prince that sells and sends his subjects to the shambles of a foreign country. Your efforts are forever vain and impotent, doubly so from this mercenary aid on which you rely. For it irritates to an incurable resentment the minds of your enemies. If I were an American, as I am an Englishman, while a foreign troop was landed in my country, I would never lay down my arms. Never, never, never. So, back in Britain, already things not looking good. The war would go on for four more years, and many more battles would be fought. But at the end, Charles Cornwallis, who was at Second Trenton and at Princeton, after having surrendered his army to George Washington, said, When the illustrious part of your excellency has borne in this long and arduous contest becomes a matter of history, fame will gather your brightest laurels rather from the banks of the Delaware than those of the Chesapeake. Basically saying, what you did at Trenton is more impressive than what you did here even at Yorktown. So, that is it. That's mm-hmm. the end. And... Via letters, after all of his great feats, he sent back. He was like, "Hey, Martha, check out what I did," and she slid right off that chair. She's like, you, come, <laughs> "You come home right now, you big fucking bull." <laughs> it was like that. That history kind of felt like, you know, crossing the Delaware River, yada yada. We won the war. Like, it did. It did take like another four years, it, and and there is part of it wants to be like it, it was still touch and go. But it definitely, if 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 they'd lost at Trenton, like if George Washington had fallen off the boat and drowned at Trenton, that's it. War's over. What was the ride like? Don't they terrible? Ter- is it as terrible well, he was as they show the, the whole time though? <laughs> So, so <laughs> what? that pose? He was he doing the, the whole time. They, yeah. He's like, so, you don't keep me warm. They have someone at the distance. Uh, yeah. like, so, so he's like, you don't keep me warm. My massive amount of swag. I mean, you see, you say that, but George Washington was like immune to bullets. There's like, there's a story from I think it's the Battle of Long Island, mm. where an American uh, he's trying to rally a group of of American soldiers. And, and you have to remember, armies in the 1700s fight at 50 yards distance, right? They are 50 yards from one another. Yeah, but aren't the rifles accurate no, no, they're at like only, 20 feet? No, they're only accurate to 50 yards. That's why they stand oh, right. that close to each other. Right. And Washington is a tall guy. He's like 6'2", 6'3", and he's on a horse. And he rides in between a line of Continental soldiers and a line of British soldiers as they're shooting at each other, and neither he nor the horse gets hit by a bullet. Was it like the Matrix moment? Where he was I, like, I have to imagine. Like, I have like, to imagine. It's fucking Deepak Chobra is just like, the way you feel about the universe is what happens in the universe. George Washington read The Secret. <laughs> George Washington, the weather always did what he needed it to do. At, at Long Island. Uh, he, his army is trapped against Long Island. The British fleet is in is in the Hudson and East Rivers. Like the Brit- the largest fleet in the world is right there. He should not be able to escape. And there's a really dense fog that night, and no one notices him leave. He's got a snowstorm to cover him crossing the Delaware. 
the Germans go, there's the, the Hessians and you know, Rawls is like, there's no way anyone would go mm. out in this weather. This is He's stupid. Super, super low temperatures at Valley Forge to get rid of all the pussies in his army. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and what's funny there is that Valley Forge wasn't even as cold as the previous winter at Morristown. Oh. Like Morristown is way worse than Valley Forge. Why's Valley Forge the famous one then? Uh, it's because Baron von Steuben, who's another person we should talk about, shows up. <laughs> Uh, that sounds like a euphemism. Yeah, yeah. Like, gave him a von Steuben. <laughs> Baron von Steuben. I guess I'm just going to say that my favorite part about Baron von Steuben, which is that he is a Prussian army officer who claimed to be a lieutenant general uh, who had served on the personal, comm- the personal staff of Frederick the Great. The reality is, is that he was a half-pay Prussian army captain who had never seen Frederick the Great. Mm. And Baron von Steuben could speak German and he could speak French, but he couldn't speak English. And he had an officer as his interpreter, and he would just swear at American soldiers in every conceivable way he would. And he would run out of cuss words in German and in French, and he would say to his interpreter... Swear at them in English, I have run out of things to uh, yell at them. <laughs> and, and, and what's hilarious is Continental soldiers loved him. Oh, they yeah. thought he was they thought he was hilarious because one he's he was dressed. like the Kid Rock of Continental soldiers. <laughs> like, Fuck yeah, I am an American badass. <laughs> Woo! Well, and, and, and he was he was almost certainly gay. Baron von Steuben, which is part of the reason he's in America, because Europe's not cool with it. Yeah, well, all right. That's also maybe another reason a lot of soldiers really liked him. Well, and then at the, at the siege of Yorktown, at the siege of Yorktown, uh, he's one of Washington's like um, division commanders, and and uh, one of his subordinates is a man named Mad Anthony Wayne. Uh, and a and a British cannonball lands next to Steuben, and Steuben falls on top of. Anthony Wayne, right? Like the blast knocks him backwards onto Anthony Wayne, and and Steuben says to him, "You cover your general's retreat in the in the most excellent manner," which I definitely think means he was hitting on Anthony. Oh Wayne. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anthony Wayne was like, "Is that a gun in your pocket?" <laughs> <laughs> uh. Anthony Wayne also is supposed to be the uh, the ancestor of Batman. Batman is supposed to be descended from from Anthony Wayne. I'm just blown away because up until this moment, I didn't think Batman was real. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit, Professor Doctor History. You really blew my mind now. Did that bomb really go off? Did that bomb go off? (laughs) Jesus Christ. That's why there's no Gotham City anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Never never even heard of it. Uh, All right. Well, I think that's our fucking podcast, guys. All right. We will be back. For another riveting podcast by Professor Doctor History, giving us the info, uh, uh, Adam Lax, our fucking beautiful mustachioed host. <laughs> he does have a nice producer. mustache right now. It and works. It works. It does. It does. Thank you. We call it the tickler. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like a cat of nine tails. Uh, all right. You, all right. you like it for about four or five, and then the safe word doesn't work. <laughs> 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 and on that, we are out.